0: for these things be diligent to be found by him in peace spotless and blameless and grow in the grace and knowledge of our lord and savior jesus christ our growth growth comes through the scriptures this is day 90 in our through the bible reading calendar day 90 Mar- uh, march 31st we're now almost one quarter of the way through the year we'll have uh 90 91 92. once we finish this 13th week that will be exactly one fourth of the 52 weeks that uh, makes up this year so We'll be uh, praising the Lord for that and then asking for strength to do the other three-fourths of the year. Uh, Day 90, Joshua 18 and Joshua 19, the most of chapter 19. We don't quite do the entire thing, but we do the bulk of chapter 19. One thing that's kind of fun to memorize is trying to remember how many verses are in every chapter. So that when you see, you know, 1948, you go, yeah, that's basically the end of the chapter because there's only, you know, 51 verses in that chapter. Uh, But no, we're going to save 49, 50, and 51 for uh, tomorrow. We're just going to do 18.1 through 1948. All right, before we do get started, though, let's take a moment for silent prayer calling upon our Father and His faithfulness to bless our time of study. Shall we pray? Most gracious Heavenly Father, once again we come before you, just so thankful, Father. Uh, 89 classes, you have shown yourself faithful, and now tonight for class number 90, we, uh, we expect all the same, even more faithfulness, Father. Um, you, you cannot... Be not faithful, Father. You are just eternally awesome in all that you do. So, Father, we do call upon your grace and glory tonight to open our eyes, open our ears, soften our hearts, lead us in the paths of righteousness for your namesake. We thank you, Father, and we praise you in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. All right. I'm not exactly sure if I said that right in my prayer, but God knows what I was trying to say. <laughs> he is faithful no matter what. That's what I was trying to say. All right. Joshua 18 and Joshua 19, where do we leave off? We have some land allotments that are going on. Basically, you can take the book of Joshua and divide it in half. you got 12 chapters where you've got uh, the the conquering, and then you got the the second half of the the book where uh, they're dividing up the land. And so far, as of now, um, we have uh, some other tribes that we have to deal with here. We've had uh, Judah, and we've had Joshua and uh, the, the the combined tribes of Manasseh and Ephraim that fall under the heading of the tribe of Joshua. We've dealt with those. So now we're ready to move on into chapter 18 now. Remember, we're just rocking through Joshua, and we're going to wrap up Joshua in two more classes, uh, 90, 91, 92, and then that'll be the end of Joshua. And then starting on Sunday, when we come back for uh, lesson number 93, uh, that's going to be our, our beginning in the book of Judges. So uh, this is just how fast the... The Through the Bible series has taken us on this. Alright, so Joshua chapter 18, following Joseph's land grant, the tabernacle was established at Shiloh. Not to be confused with the previous reference to Shiloh that we saw in the Judah prophecy of Genesis 49. So we're going to take some time tonight to take a look at this. So Joshua 18.1, it says, "...then the whole congregation of the sons of Israel assembled themselves at Shiloh and set up the tent of meeting there, and the land was subdued before them. So we have uh, just a point of reference here. This is the, the point where this uh, does get set up. It's not the permanent establishment. We know eventually it's going to end up coming to Jerusalem after David conquers Jerusalem and when the Lord sets up his permanent temple dwelling in the city of David, when he sets it up on Mount Zion in Jerusalem. But until that gets conquered, uh, God determines that this tabernacle is going to stay in a couple of different places at various points of, of their history. Shiloh being the first one that we see here. So don't confuse the town with a prophecy, okay? So when we look at the town, we just right-click Shiloh and we see the place right there, Shiloh, the place. Anytime you're clicking on a place, just look halfway down that left-hand column and you'll find the the place there. And then uh, you can pull it up on an atlas, you can see where it's positioned on the map, there we go, just drop it right there, Shiloh, in the midst of the uh, tribal allotment there for Ephraim, north of Benjamin, south of West Manasseh, kind of see the centrality of it there. So that's the location. Also, you can pull it up on the fact book, You can get a summary article for the place, and that'll kind of bookmark some articles for you. It'll show you about your top Bible dictionaries, other uh, references that are there. A city in the hill country of Ephraim, centrally located between Shechem to the north and Bethel to the south. Joshua and the tribes of Israel camped here after the settlement in the land, home of the Ark of the Covenant and the tabernacle during the time of Joshua to Samuel. All right. So we can do studies on the locality, studies on the place. What we don't want to do is confuse the place with a prophecy or the place with the messianic expectation that was spoken of in the message back in Genesis chapter 49. You might recall when uh, Jacob was on his deathbed and he was giving these uh, prophetic pronunciations for all of his sons, for all of the tribes, the reference to Judah is probably the one that we paid attention to the most. Judah, your brothers shall praise you. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's sons shall bow down to you. So this shows the the tribal preeminence of Judah over the other sons that is not contradictory to Joseph's dreams where he saw his brothers bowing down to him. Those were brothers bowing down to Joseph. This is actually now tribes bowing down to the tribe of Judah. Uh, Judah is a lion's whelp. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. And as soon as we see that lion imagery, we're reminded of other prophecies as it relates to Jesus Christ, other prophecies that pertain to the lion from the tribe of Judah. So here we have Judah as a lion's whelp. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He couches, he lies down as a lion. And as a lion, who dares rouse him up? And then the verse with uh, Shiloh that's mentioned is Verse 10. "...the scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until Shiloh comes, and to him shall be the obedience of the peoples, or the nations, or the Gentiles." Not only does Judah have preeminence over all the other tribes of the Jewish people, but the Messiah, when he comes, is going to rule over the whole world. He's going to have preeminence over Israel and Gentiles alike. So we have the scepter, we have the ruler staff, and then we have this this mysterious expression until Shiloh comes. What does that mean? Footnote. Until either he comes to Shiloh or until he comes to whom it belongs, to whom it belongs. And that's I think the best way to render the idiom. It is it's not easy. And even the rabbis argue about the about the Hebrew and about the the text in, in the form that we presently have it in. I prefer the rendering that says "until he comes to whom it belongs." In other words, the scepter, the ruler, uh, it's it's designed for one person and one person specifically. That's the the Lord's anointed. That's the Messiah. That's the Christ. And until uh, the Christ comes, we uh, we see that God has His plan in motion. All right, so that's the issue there, and. Uh, it goes on, it's going to, actually the, the Judah prophecy uh, encompasses both verses 11 and 12, so I'm not going to get lost in that tonight. We already covered it, and uh, in fact, I'll tell you what week it was if I just type in Genesis 49.10. Genesis 49, looks like it was day 19, way back on January the 19th. So for those of you that want to go back and review those notes, you're free to do so. Also, if... Uh, I mentioned this on Sunday, the new TTB feature, for those of you that are using ttb2022.com for your reading plan, um, pick your day, what is this, the 20th, no, this is the, uh, here we go, day 90, day 90, all right. If, uh, for example, you're watching the Day 90 video, like we're doing right now, we're doing the Day 90 video, and you're reading through your notes, and you got the notes there, and you have the reference to Shiloh, and it's bugging you, when did we have Shiloh before, then all you got to do is search right here for Shiloh, and you're going to get your search results back, and it's going to include Day 19 and Day 90. So here we go. The utility of that search window is going to be very useful for us, I think, as we work our way through the, uh, the coming years. So thank you to Christine for putting that on the site. All right, let me get back now to day 90 so I don't get lost in that. So don't confuse the town where they set up the tabernacle with the prophecy as it relates to Genesis 49. Following that, verses 2 and 3, Joshua expresses dismay that the remaining seven tribes have yet to muster their forces for the tribal campaigns. Reading verses 2 and 3, there remained among the sons of Israel seven tribes who had not divided their inheritance. And you think, well that's not so bad, seven out of twelve. I mean, no, it's seven out of nine because three of the tribes on the eastern side don't count. It's only the nine and a half tribes here on the western side that uh, still have to uh, pacify their particular inheritance. So Joshua said to the sons of Israel, how long will you put off entering to take possession of the land which the Lord, the God of your fathers, has given you? What's up with all the procrastination? See, and speaking as the, the champion procrastinator of Austin Bible Church, I can relate to some of the things that these uh, tribes are dealing with. But what a dismay. And, and seriously, since the, the national conquest is, is complete, the national conquest had all the victories, the 31 kings and all the, the uh, statements of, of glory that, that Joshua had accrued, uh, it transitioned from the national conquest to the individual tribal conquests. And this is where these tribes are falling short, because the tribes are not following up with the national conquest victories that, uh, that uh, Joshua had led them to. So, on the basis of their recalcitrance, ooh, there's a fancy word, on the basis of their, uh, yeah, he's going to start appointing these land officers to kind of get it in gear. He's going to appoint these uh, a survey team of 21 surveyors to go through the remaining portions of Canaan and survey the final seven allotments, and uh, this is going to put a a point of authority or a point of accountability over them to which they're going to have to answer, related to the territory that uh, that they're going to designate here. So, again, this how long will you put off entering to take possession? So, as we read verses four and following, provide for yourselves three men from each tribe that I may send them that they may arise and walk through the land and write a description of it according to their inheritance and they shall return to me so in other words this is like a good project manager we would say and this is somebody that's assigning uh tasks and and assigning points of accountability with deadlines and reporting dates and you're going to you're going to roam through the land and you're going to report back to me Okay, and this method not only do we see uh you know Joshua employing it here, but God himself employs this, he employs this with his angels, and uh, we we learned that in Job chapter one when the angels would come and report from time to time, and they would have to uh testify to what they were learning as they were observing the uh, god's grace upon this earth in the human realm, so uh yeah, he's assigning three from these seven tribes, three each from these seven tribes, and they're going to report back to me. You know, They don't have to answer to their tribal uh, elders. Some of them probably are tribal elders anyway, but they're going to answer back to Joshua with respect to what they've done about these surveys. They shall divide it into seven portions. Judah shall stay in its territory on the south, and the house of Joseph shall stay in their territory to the north. They're the two that have been accomplished by this point, but these remaining tribes you shall describe the land in seven divisions and bring the description here to me. I will cast lots for you here before the Lord our God. And for the Levites, of course, have no portion among you because the priesthood of the Lord is their inheritance. Are, do, you, do you ever get tired of hearing that? <laughs> I mean, it's very redundant. and gets told again and again and again. But Gad and Reuben and the half-tribe of Manasseh also have received their inheritance eastward beyond the Jordan which Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave them. All right, so we're not, we're not worried about Levi. We're not worried about Gad, Reuben, and Manasseh. Uh, we're not worried about Judah and Joseph because they've, they've already divided theirs up, but we've got the remainder of these tribes, okay? We might call them the seven slugs or something. We can come up with a nickname for them. So the men arose and went. And Joshua commanded those who went to describe the land, saying, go and walk through the land and describe it. And return to me, then I will cast lots for you here before the Lord in Shiloh. And is this kind of interesting? You know, and it reminds me too of several other expeditions where not only do you have explorers that had to map different regions, but they also, you know, the the surveying work that they did included the 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 physical geography, the animals, the plants, the other things that they encountered. When you read about the voyage of discovery and what the Lewis and Clark team did on on their journeys, or what. Um, read about uh, Mark Twain when he took a, a journey to the Holy Land. In his diary, uh, is it pretty interesting because he gave a, a pretty accurate description of the uh, the wasteland that he found, uh, the land of Palestine, as he was, as he called it, and as he was traveling through it. Anyway, there's several other uh, examples of that through history that I always find interesting when I read them. All right, because I just like you know, making a map and getting to where I'm going, and if there's trees and rivers and other things in the way, I just, I don't care, I just, you know, as long as they're not obstacles, I want to know where they are, but plants and animals and other things like that are, they don't interest me, i just try to get to where I'm going. Anyway, the men went and passed through the land, and they described it by cities and seven divisions in a book, and they came to Joshua to the camp at Shiloh. You know what else this reminds me of? The Domesday Book in, in the early history of England after William conquered and, uh, you know, the, the conqueror conquered. And, uh, but then you have the description of all these towns, all these villages, all these cities throughout, uh, throughout England. Anyway, this is what they're doing. These are not cities that they built. These are cities they need to conquer and kill the inhabitants and take over and, and start, you know, parking their, their wives and kids and animals and, and start dwelling in the land that, uh, that God is giving them. And so Joshua cast lots for them in Shiloh before the Lord. And there Joshua divided the land to the sons of Israel according to their divisions. All right, so that's what we're looking at there. Establishing a survey team of 21 surveyors to go through the remaining portions of Canaan and survey the final seven allotments. And does that seem like just random chance? Does that seem like, um, uh, you know, problematic? Like these tribes might have reason to complain? That uh, Naphtali and Issachar and Zebulun and Asher and you know all the rest of these might just start to grumble. You know Simeon and whatnot might uh, decide um, that it's unfair or that it's wrong or anything like that. Well, the, the casting of lots is marvelous because it's totally random from our, uh, our perspective as human beings with free will and it takes our free will out of the, uh, out of the uh, equation whereby no uh, claims of, of a favoritism or any of the rest might, uh, might uh, you know be alleged because it's totally in the random realm for humanity, but it's totally in God's sovereign control because every roll of the dice is God's sovereignty at work. And uh, the issues there. We'll see that uh, when we get, I, I keep saying they're in the notes coming up and I, I think it's still two weeks away. Uh, we might come to this in the, uh, no, it won't be the judges, it might be in a, I guess it's in the Ruth notes that are coming up. We'll see the casting of lots and and things there. Either Ruth, Ruth or First uh, Samuel. All right. Benjamin receives their portion in between Judah and Ephraim. So the lot for the tribe of the sons of Benjamin came up. So they're the first of the seven slugs. Uh, Benjamin finally is going to get their uh, their territory. According to their families, and the territory of their lot lay between the sons of Judah and the sons of Joseph. So they're going to get nestled in. And I believe I kept my map up and running, and so there you have it. You got this, uh, of course the big red one is Judah. And then you have this uh, Benjamin. There we go. Just kind of tucked in the middle there. Their border on the north side was from the Jordan. Then the border went up to the side of Jericho on the north and went up through the hill country westward and it ended in the wilderness of Beth-Avon. From there the border turned to Luz, to the side of Luz, that is Bethel. Again, keep in track that many of these locations have older names, Canaanite names, that then get renamed with significance because when Jacob was, was fleeing town, that's where the ladder was. When he stopped for the night, he had a dream and he saw the angels of God ascending and descending. So he named it Bethel. Uh, then southward, then the border went down to adaroth Adar near the hill which lies in the south of lower beth horon okay that's kind of fun so do some research on that i'm kind of curious now what was upper beth horon like But we got the south of lower beth horon that's mentioned there and the border extended from there and turned round on the west side southward why is the border turning around how can we have these this sounds like gerrymandering to me i think they're they're messing with the They're messing with a map just to try to score more votes in the House of Representatives or something. No, this is the way it is. God is designating this. This is what the surveyors have to do. And and you just can't draw a straight line and say that's the way it's going to be. You know, maps happen, okay? The borders change directions and there's, you know, little twists and turns and whatever. Like that that little strip of of Texas that got cut off somehow, that surveyor's error up there that wound up in Oklahoma somehow. Don't know how that happened. Anyway, there's a book about that if you want to read it, how the states got their shapes. All right, so the south side was from the edge of, what did I leave off, Kiriath Baal? Here we go, that's a town that needs a new name. So the border extended from there, turned round on the west side southward from the hill which lies before Beth Horon southward, and it ended at Kiriath Baal, that is Kiriath Jerim. Okay, that's the better name. A city on the on the south of the sons of Judah. This was the west side. So many of these localities, if they're close, if they're near a border, um, some of these actually get assigned to more than one tribe, and, and some of them they share actually depending on on uh, the different things. Also, the Levitical cities still belong to the tribe in which they're located, and so somebody from a Levitical city could might be a Levite, might be uh, an Ephraimite, might be a Judite. It just depends on who you're talking about and, and what they were doing there in that city. Stay tuned for that. So that's the west side. Then on the south side, from the edge of Kiriath-Jerim, the border went westward and went to the fountain of the waters of Neptoa. And the border went down to the edge of the hill, which is in the valley of Ben-Hinnom. And that gets your attention. Do you know anything about Gehenna or Ben-Hinnom? This valley that uh, some of that imagery comes into some uh, some names of, of, of terms that apply to hell itself. Okay, How would you like to live there? Which is uh, in the valley of Rephaim northward. The valley of Rephaim, the valley of the giants. And it went down to the valley of Hinnom to the slope of the Jebusite southward. Of course the Jebusite is Jerusalem, okay? And that valley of Hinnom that comes southward from Jerusalem. Anyway, it went down to En-Rogel. It extended northward and went to En-Shemesh and went to Geliloth, which is opposite of the ascent of Adumim. We've seen that ascent of Adumim a few times. And it went down to the stone of Bohan, the son of Reuben. You think there's a story there? Where does that come from? the stone of Bohan, the son of Reuben. Well, we are talking about Benjamin's territory here, are we not? So why is Reuben involved in this? That's kind of curious. It continued to the side in front of the Arabah to northward and went down to the Arabah. The border continued to the side of Beth-Hogla northward and the border ended at the north bay of the Salt Sea at the south end of the Jordan. This was the south border. Moreover, the Jordan was the border on the east side. this was the inheritance of the sons of Benjamin, according to their families and according to its borders all around. all right, so again, you have that description there, and folks that make maps like this, they do their best, and this is not god breathing inspired this is This is a guesswork on the part of a lot of archaeologists and a lot of scholars and so forth. And so you may find that uh, different maps and different references are are roughly tweaked, but they should be for the most part close. They should be for the most part. I mean, you're not going to have anybody that puts Zebulun in the south. They're all kind of oriented in relation to the others pretty well. Okay, pretty well. Having Simeon as an enclave, totally surrounded by Judah, that's easy to map because the text tells us that they're surrounded by Judah, and so uh, they've got one border. It's the Judah border, okay, as far as uh, that goes. Like any time you leave the North Pole, you're headed south. Anytime time you're leaving uh, Simeon, you're, going, you're crossing into Judah. That's the way that goes. Now the cities of the tribe of the sons of Benjamin, according to their families, were, and remember, the tribe, now once they conquer everything, they're not done They got more work to do. It's like once the national conquest was done, they're not done. The tribes have business to do. Once the tribes finish their tribal conquest, they're not done. The clans have their work to do. The clans have to occupy the cities, and then within the clans, they have to assign the actual families. Then, if the family's big enough, they may have to subdivide and figure out where all of their heads of the households are going. It just depends on how big the family gets. So the cities of the tribe of the sons of Benjamin, according to their families, were Jericho. Now remember, they destroyed that, and they were told not to rebuild it, but it's still assigned to them. Okay, and there's actually a settlement there. There will continue to be a settlement there. It's well watered. It's shady. It's got palm trees. Uh, it's a sweet location with a, a river crossing uh, north of the Dead Sea. There, anyway. It belongs to them, they just can't build a fortified city there. They can can have families living there. Uh, Also Beth-Hogla and Emek-Kaziz and Beth-Arabah and Zemariah, and Bethel. So all of these Beths, do we have too many Beths? The Beths, that stands for house of. The, The Hebrew Beth means house, like Bethlehem is house of bread, or house of something, or house of this, or house of that. All right, so yeah, we got a lot of Beths. And uh, Zemariah and Bethel, house of God, and Avim. This Avim, though, man, I tell you, that pecks my interest because of the giant clan that was uh, given that name. Also Parah, also Ophrah, not Oprah, Ophrah. We've seen Ophrah before, have we not? When did we see Ophrah? Do you remember where we saw Ophrah? I'm forgetting now. All right, I'll look that up after class. And uh, sometimes I get confused with classes we've already had and classes that are coming up in the next two weeks because that's some of the studies I've done lately. All right. And uh, Chephar Amuni and Ofni and Giba, 12 cities with their villages. And we're not done. We have a list of 12, but we're going to list some more. Gibeon and Ramah and Bereth. Remember Gibeon? The Gibeonites, those liars, okay, snakes, it's a Bethlehem city. Or it's a, not a Bethlehem city, it's a Benjamin city. Or is it an Ephraim city? Or is there more than one Gibeon? And Ramah and Beroth, remember Ramah crying for her children. And Beroth, I like Beeroth. that's the plural of beer, okay? <laughs> it means wells, okay? A beer is a well. And if you have more than one well, then you've got Beeroth. And Mizpah, and Kapirah, and Moza, and Rechem, and Erpil, and Terelah, and Zalah, and Haileph, and the Jebusite, that is Jerusalem. Gibeah, there's another Gibeah. Well, there's a Gibeah and a Gibeon, there we go. And Kiriath, 14 cities with their villages. Now, wait a minute, how come I have 12 cities listed and then I get 14 cities listed? Why are we getting breakdowns on these cities? Why are they grouped together this way? Because this is according to the clans, okay? And we can realize that the tribe has two dominant clan divisions, and then there'll be subclans and sub subclans, families, and whatnot. All right, this is the inheritance of the sons of Benjamin according to their mishpacha, according to their families. What's really frustrating is mishpacha sometimes is assigned to the the clan, sometimes assigned to the family, sometimes assigned to the head of household. Um, It's it's basically a a people grouping that's smaller than a tribe, is what it is. Which gets us to chapter 19. Time for Simeon. The second uh, lot, this is the second slug lot. Fell to Simeon, the tribe of the sons of Simeon, according to their families, and their inheritance was in the midst of the inheritance of the sons of Judah. So they're told right up front that they're just going to be a little enclave, a little island surrounded by a sea of Judah. Simeon received their portion within the southern reaches of Judah's territory, and it's the first nine verses of what we're looking at here is Simeon. So they had as their inheritance Beersheba. There's a famous place. You know, I mean, isn't this fun? Wouldn't you like to be Jewish? Wouldn't you like to just grow up with, not only do you have, of course, a Bible, you have an Old Testament, you have the Word of God, but everything that's in your history is in the Bible. You know, like, ooh, Beersheba. And you know, have got the Abraham stories and the Isaac stories and, and just other things. All right. So, they had their inheritance, Bersheba, or Sheba, and Moladah, and Hazar, Shul, and Bala, and Ezim, and Eltolad and Bethul, and Hormah. Hormah, we've seen that before. This uh, was named because of the haram. Uh, we studied the idea of putting something under the ban, something that is dedicated, something that is hands-off, don't don't plunder it, is, is haram. And uh, this village here, Hormah, comes from the same root. Also Ziklag. Um, haven't seen it yet, but it comes up in the life of David. A lot of David's activity takes place in Ziklag. And Beth Markabuth and Hazar Susa. And Beth Labayoth, and Sheruhen. Thirteen cities with their villages. But we're not done yet. Ein or Ein. Rimen and Ether and Ashen. Four cities with their villages. So we've got a collection of thirteen. We've got a collection of four. And all the villages which were around these cities, as far as Balath-bir, Ramah of the Negev, this was the inheritance of the tribe of the sons of Simeon according to their families. And the inheritance of the sons of Simeon was taken from the portion of the sons of Judah, for the share of the sons of Judah was too large for them. So the sons of Simeon received an inheritance in the midst of Judah's inheritance. Interesting. All right. So that's the issue there. And again, if some of these, if, if, uh, if you're not sure how to pronounce some of these things, like Ein, right-click it. Don't select the place. Come up here and select the Hebrew lemma. And once you have the Hebrew lemma selected, you can then have Lagos pronounce it for you. Ein. So there you go. Ein. Okay, it's the same word as I. I, I, I can see that. The i Just like the letter i Interesting. All right, after Simeon comes Zebulun. Verses uh, 10 through 16. Zebulun reviewed, received their portion north of Ephraim and Manasseh in a region that will later be called Lower Galilee. So here's some previews of coming attractions. The third lot came up for the sons of Zebulun, according to their families, and the territory of their inheritance was as far as Sarid. Their border went up to the west and to Maralah. It then touched Dabasheth and reached to the brook that is before Jokneum. Then it turned from Sarid to the east toward the sunrise as far as the border of Kisloth-Tabor. And proceeded to Dabarath and up to Japhia. From there it continued eastward toward the sunrise to Gath-Hefer and to Eth-Kazin. And it proceeded to Rimmon, which stretched to Neath. And now I'm starting to wonder because we've got multiple Rimmons here. And if I'm familiar with some later Rimens in later Bible stories, I don't want to get my Rimmons confused. Like I don't want to get my Bethlehems confused or uh, any of these places confused. Anyway, this particular rim stretches towards Nia. The border circled around Nia. That's kind of cool. There's a Nia in Washington State where I grew up. Nia Bay in the far northwest corner of the state. Anyway. The border circled around it on the north towards Hanathon, and it ended at the valley of Iftahel. Included also were Katah and Nahalal and Shimron and... Idlah and Bethlehem, not the famous one, not the one in the Christmas stories, not the one where Jesus was born. Okay, the other one. Twelve cities with their villages. This was the inheritance of the sons of Zebulun, according to their families, the cities with their villages. All right, now before we move on to Issachar, I do have some notes here um, related to Zebulun. This this territory doesn't get a lot of attention in the Old Testament. In fact, it's it's pretty obscure from the Old Testament. The only prophet I can think of that comes from this region or even anywhere nearby this region would be Jonah. Okay, And Jonah, uh, yeah. Anyway, he's, he's famous for his grumbling and not going where, where God wanted him to go. He's not really famous for his hometown or, or where he came from. He's more famous for where he didn't want to go. Um, anyway, so yeah, when the, when the Pharisees are scornful, of any prophet arising from Galilee, when the when the Pharisees are so dismissive of Jesus, the, this Nazareth carpenter, you know, they would they say, you know, search and see that no prophet ever arises out of Galilee. They're actually wrong on that, and uh, I would imagine if if any smarty pants, you know, called them on it, that they would not be well received related to uh, related to that. Anyway, Isaiah chapter nine, marvelous prophecy by the prophet Isaiah. There will be no more gloom for her who was in anguish. In earlier times he treated the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali with contempt. Those two tribes combined, that particular region in the north, um, didn't get a lot of glory, didn't get a lot of excitement from, uh, from the Lord's dealings with his people. Likewise, when we see Even during the period of the judges, how many judges rise from here? And what you know when you think about um, the reluctant judge who let a woman do all his work? You know, you think about Deborah and Barak and some of the uh, the armies that they called to serve them. Even then, who's getting the glory for that? Not uh, Zebulun, not Naphtali. But later on, he shall make it glorious by the way of the sea on the other side of the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. So, and I'm pretty sure I don't know how many other times this phrase comes up in the Old Testament, but um, okay, more times than I thought. Joshua 20, Joshua 21, First Kings, Second Kings, First Chronicles. All right, so it's got a handful of times where Galilee gets mentioned in the Old Testament. Anyway, so early on, Zebulun has no great claim to fame. But just wait, they're going to have the greatest claim to fame ever in the, uh, the childhood of Jesus. So the people who walk in darkness will see great light. Those who live in a dark land, the light will shine on them. And this has to bug the Judeans to tears, right? Because, I mean, that in their mind, Jerusalem is everything. And if you're a, a prophet, if you're a, a, a rabbi, I mean, you have to go to the best schools, you have to rise from Jerusalem. The idea that, that Galilee, I mean, Galilee was like the Kentucky of the, of the ancient world. I mean, it just, they were just considered hicks, they were considered, uh, you know, rubes or whatnot. Those who live in a dark land, the light will shine on them. You shall multiply the nation, you shall increase their gladness. They will be glad in your presence as with the gladness of harvest, as men rejoice when they divide the spoil. For you shall break the yoke of their burden and the staff of their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor as at the battle of Midian. For every boot of the booted warrior in the battle, tumult and cloak rolled in blood will be for burning, fuel for the fire. For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name shall be called wonderful counselor, mighty God, eternal father, prince of peace. Is this verse alpha familiar? I mean, are you excited about something like this? So the land of Zebulun, you know, if you're if you're bored to tears over a uh a, a Tuesday night message that seems to be about drawing maps, it's uh kinda neat kind of need to see how this all comes together. All right. Verses 10 through 14. Also, of course, uh, it gets quoted in the New Testament, Matthew chapter 4. When Jesus had heard that John was taken into custody, he withdrew into Galilee and leaving Nazareth. He came and settled in Capernaum, which is by the sea in the region of Zebulun and Naphtali, to fulfill what was spoken through Isaiah the prophet. And this is the direct fulfillment of Isaiah chapter 9. So I'm thankful that we're getting this big picture. One of the huge benefits to doing the Through the Bible format is we get this big picture overview where we can start to see how the things connect. We can start to see how they fit together, how the, the individual chapters are connected to these other places. And it's a benefit, and it's, a, it's a, such a double benefit, triple benefit, I don't know what you want to call it. The fact is, is that a lot of the prophecies from the Old Testament appear to be Contradictory. But when we see how they're all complementary, not contradictory, it's even more beautiful. It's even more powerful, right? Because, so, a skeptic might, might ignore Isaiah chapter 9. A skeptic might be dismissive of Zebulun and Naphtali, might be scornful of Galilee of the Gentiles, uh, as the Pharisees were. Why? Well, because maybe they're wrapped up in other prophecies that highlight Jerusalem, or other prophecies that highlight Zion, or other prophecies that highlight, um, uh, uh, Bethlehem, for example. Like, like Micah 5, highlights And Bethlehem. Or how about out of Egypt I will call my son. You know, Hosea 6. Or, or Hosea 11. Alright? Or, so I mean we've got all these competing prophecies. Is it, is it Egypt? Is it Bethlehem? Is it Jerusalem? Is it, is it Galilee? And it just seems like a skeptic might just pull their hair out and say, fooey on all of you guys. You can't make up your mind and nobody knows what they're talking about but God fulfills every last one of them perfectly literally we don't have to allegorize we just have to coordinate and, and 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 rightly divide the word of truth so that everything is compared with everything and all of it is true okay something similar happened with um in the days of Jeremiah because uh, there was a prophet that said uh, that, that you'll never see Babylon. And there was a prophet that said, you're going to die in Babylon. And so the king just said, you're both a bunch of liars. I don't believe either of you. But both prophecies were true because he did die in Babylon, but he never saw it because they gouged his eyes out. Okay? So don't be so quick to dismiss that, oh, that can't be true because this other prophet said this. Both prophets are true. If God sent them, both prophets are true. And we rightly divide the word of truth in terms of reconciling everything as the truth of God's word. So that's verses 10 through 16. That's the Zebulun inheritance. Similar here with Issachar. Verses 17 through 23. Issachar received their portion east of Zebulun and south southwest of the Sea of Galilee. So again, spotting it on the map here. Issachar is this little pink territory right here. Don't know why it's pink. They were just picking colors. There it is, Issachar. Zebulun, Naphtali, the land that was treated with contempt, and now Issachar. Fun things that happened in Issachar. The fourth lot fell to Issachar to the sons of Issachar according to their families. Their territory was to Jezreel and included Chesuloth and Shunem. As soon as you see Jezreel, you realize there's a ton of history associated with that—the town, the valley, the whole stretch through there that 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 arcs the, the that spans the territory of Israel from the Mediterranean to the Jordan River, and really forms this this powerful valley break between the northern and the southern. Regions. So, uh, the territory was to Jezreel, included Chesuloth, and Shunem, and Haphiram and Shion, and Anahorath, and Rebeth, so only and Kishion, and Abaz, and Remeth, and En-Ganim, and En-Hadah, and Beth-Pazaz. All right, all those places. And the border reached to Tabor. I like Tabor, I had a grandmother named Tabor. Tabor, and uh, Shahazuma, and Beth Shemesh. By the way, Tabor is good in scrabble. It's a verb too, so you can do Tabor, Tabor, Taboring, Tabers. Anyway, uh, Shahazuma, and Beth Shemesh, and their border ended at the Jordan, 16 cities with their villages. This was the inheritance of the tribe of the sons of Issachar, according to their families, the cities with their villages. So there is Issachar. East of Zebulun, south, southwest of the Sea of Galilee. Asher received their portion in the far northwest. Got a soft spot in my heart for Asher. The fifth lot fell to the tribe of the sons of Asher, according to their families. For no other reason other than the fact that they were the, the northwest, right? like the Pacific northwest, where I grew up. So here's the tribe that's in the upper northwest, and what's pathetic about it is that they were probably, I don't know, I guess they weren't quite as pathetic as Dan, but they were almost as pathetic as Dan at basically not conquering much of anything. And uh, and, and really living amongst the, the Phoenicians and the Canaanites and the other people groups that they were supposed to conquer, They uh, they were pretty terrible at conquering the groups that they were supposed to be conquering. So uh, the far northwest on the Mediterranean coast from Mount Carmel to Sidon. I mean, on a map it looks great. You ever done that? You ever looked at a house, looked at a property and said, man, on the map, this is, this is prime. Think about our Mediterranean coast seaside resorts. Just think about, um, you know, Carmel is right here. On the southern... Uh, Edge of that bay, you got Mount Carmel. May not show up there on this map, but that's where it is. And then this whole brown region, this tan brown, right here, stretching all the way up to Sidon. That includes these monster cities, Tyre and Sidon, and and uh, a lot of rich history here as well. Think about what could have been. And even this, even this. Um, land survey of the conquest is not the full survey that the spies uh, went in because the spies went north of Damascus the spies came all the way up here past Mount Hermon and even further up here is where the spies went to if I can find the low uh, that's not going to pop up tonight oh because I'm on the wrong map I'm on the tribal inheritance map that's okay Anyway, the northwest region there, that's, uh, that's Asher's region. The fifth lot fell to the tribe of the sons of Asher, according to their families. Their territory was Helkath, and Hali, and Beton, and Akshaph, and Alamelech, and Amad and Mashal, and it reached to Carmel on the west, and to Shihor-Libnath, and it turned toward the east to Beth Dagon, and reached to, that, that needs a new name, Dagon's a Philistine deity. Um, and reached to Zebulun and to the valley of Iftahel, northward to beth Emek and Nael. Then it proceeded on the north to Kabul and to uh, Ebron and to Rehob and to Hamam, Yeah, no, Hamon, there we go. And Cana, as far as great Sidon. Man, they should have had that city. That was theirs. Why didn't they go take it? And the border turned to Ramah and to the fortified city of Tyre. And the border turned to Hosah, and it ended at the sea by the region of Akzib. Included also were Uma and Ephek and Rehob, 22 cities with their villages. This was the inheritance of the tribes of the sons of Asher, according to their families, these cities with their villages. Then we get to Naphtali. Naphtali received their portion in the northeast in a region that will later be called Upper Galilee. All right, so between Zebulun and Naphtali, you got both the lower and the upper regions there. Um, let's look at verses 32 through 39. And again, on the map, that's this yellow region right there. Yep, Naphtali. The border was from Halif, from the oak in Zananim. Man, how famous was that tree? Right? I mean, think about it. The oak in Zananim, everybody knew about it, and Adami Necab in Jabneel, as far as Lachem, and it ended at the Jordan. Then the border turned westward to Asnoth Tabor, and proceeded from there to Hukok, and it reached to Zebulun on the south, and touched Asher on the west, and to Judah at the nor- at the Jordan toward the east. And the fortified cities were Zidim, Zur, and Hamath, Rakath and Chinareth. Shinnereth is uh, another name for the older name for the Sea of Galilee that as it's known in the New Testament. And Adama and Ramah and Hazor and Kedesh, and Edre and En Hazor and Yeron, and Migdal El Horam and Beth Anath and Beth Shemesh 19 cities with their villages. This was in accordance. Uh, this was the inheritance of the tribe of the sons of Naphtali, according to their families in the, the cities with their villages. Then we have the tribe of Dan. Uh, Naphtali, see, Naphtali received their portion in the northeast in a region later called Upper Galilee. And again, I just cite the same Isaiah nine reference that we looked at earlier, it, because that same Isaiah nine prophecy mentioned both Zebulun and Naphtali. All right, Dan, the seventh lot. Okay, when you talk about the seven slugs, they're the they're the seventh slug. Okay, the slowest. Not technically their fault, since it was just the drawing of lots. But still, if you're going to be the seventh of the of the seven slowpokes, that's, uh that falls to Dan, the last tribe to receive their portion west of Ephraim and Judah, and uh, the worst at the driving out of the Canaanite inhabitants. Um, so let's take a look at it. The seventh lot fell to the tribe of the sons of Dan according to their families. The territory of their inheritance was Zorah and Eshtaol and Irshemesh and Sheolabin and Igelon and Ithlah and Elon and Timnah and Ekron. Just pay attention to those names. You're going to see them as Philistine villages when uh, Samson, uh, the judge from the tribe of Dan, is trying to um, trying to <laughs> I, I, what, how should I put it? Is he trying to judge the nation of Israel or is he just trying to score chicks? He's, he's, just, yeah, he's just looking for, for women is what he's doing basically. His whole career of judging Israel was looking for more Philistine girls. All right. But yeah, you'll see Elon and Timnon, and Ekron in the book of Judges in the story of Samson. And Eltica and Gibbethon and Baalath and in, in Jehud and Bnei Barak and Gath-Rimen and Me, Jarkin, and Rakan, and the territory over against Joppa. Okay? Joppa's a port city. Joppa ought to, uh, I mean, awesome to score something like Joppa. Let's come down. There we go. So basically this is, this is the, the region of Dan. And uh, it borders with Benjamin to the east, Judah to the south, Ephraim to the north. And uh, goes all the way to the coast, all the way to Joppa. Isn't Joppa where Jonah ran to when he went to the port, when he was going to get on the ship and yeah, and flee to, uh, to Tarshish? Well, the territory of the sons of Dan preceded beyond them. Proceeded beyond them. Another way of saying it it was out of control. (laughs) Um, It it got away from them. They couldn't handle it. For the sons of Dan went up and fought with Leshem and captured it. Then they struck it with the edge of the sword and possessed it and settled it. And they called Leshem Dan after the name of Dan, their father. And so they have the territory they were given. And then they went and found a town they could pick on and and call their own. Wasn't even in their land grant. Really, it should have caused other tribes to say, hey, wait a minute here. How did this happen? Because Leshem is like way up in here. Yeah, there's Dan. The city of Dan. It seems suspiciously in the territory of Naphtali, Naphtali, right next to Manasseh's region of, of Bashan. But they wanted it. And they fought it. And they took it. (laughs) So what would you rather have? Would you rather have the blessings God has designed for you, or would you rather have the thing you could do for yourself? Dan settled for the thing they could do for themselves. How sad is that? All right. So Dan was the last tribe to receive their portion. Let's read the rest of this here. Um... This was, uh, where did I leave off? Here we go. Struck it with the edge of the sword and possessed it and settled in it. And they called Leshon Dan after the name of Dan, their father. This was in accordance, the inheritance of the tribe of the sons of Dan, according to their families, uh, these cities with their villages. When they finished apportioning the land for inheritance by its borders, the sons of Israel gave an inheritance in their midst to Joshua, the son of Nun. All right, now I'm going to have to finish that because this is beyond, yes, chapter 19 continues tomorrow. All right, I'm supposed to stop with verse 48. So let's wrap that up. We'll do the rest of that tomorrow. Uh, Dan was unable to drive out the Canaanites in their territory and relocated some of their clans to the far north. And uh, spoiler alert, or here's a preview of coming attractions Judges 18, verses 1 and 2. In those days there was no king of Israel, and in those days the tribe of the Danites was seeking an inheritance for themselves to live in, for until that day an inheritance had not been allotted to them as a possession among the tribes of Israel. Well, yes and no. It was appointed, but they hadn't taken it. So the sons of Dan sent from their family five men out of their whole number, valiant men from Zorah and Ishtaol, to spy out the land and to search it. And they said to them, "Go search the land." And they came to the hill country of Ephraim, to the house of Micah, and lodged there. And uh, they're going to get some, they're going to consult, and uh, they're going to take a priest out of here, and uh, and then they're going to march up, and they're going to come to Laish. By the way, the, the the Levite that they steal from the Ephraimites is uh, he's kind of a fraud himself. So uh, he's like a snake oil salesman or something. So he's a he's a piece of work. So anyway, they steal him, and uh, then they go up to Laish, and they saw the people who were living in it in security, after the manner of the Sidonians, quiet and secure. That's just easy pickings to a group that wants to victimize you. And uh, for there was no ruler humiliating them for anything in the land and they were far from the Sidonians and had no dealings with anyone. And they just thought they could just live there alone, they could be Sidonians living off the coast and uh, just secure and whatever. And uh, so they came back to the brothers at Zorah and Eshtaiol, the brothers, and said to them, what do you report? And they said, we got a land we can go take. And that's what they end up doing. All right. The northern city of Leshem, or Laish, was taken by Dan and renamed Dan. And uh, yeah, we'll get those details there when we get to the book of Judges. So stay tuned for that. Okay, so that wraps up day 90. We will come back for day 91, Lord willing and rapture pending. When we get to day 91, we're going to cover the rest of chapter 19, all of chapter 20 and most of chapter 21 in fact I think it's all of 21 yes, 45 is the last verse of 21, so tomorrow night we'll come back for the last of chapter 19 and then all of chapter 20 and 21, special land uses. Father I thank you for tonight, I thank you for your grace and faithfulness, thank you for the blessings we have and and Father these uh, these details are important, they're here for a reason uh, all Scripture is God-breathed and profitable, and if we're allowing ourselves to get bored with with uh, names and, and maps and places, Father, we need to uh, realize that they're important to you, and, uh, and they're important to Israel, and we realize that every detail is in your plan. And that uh, when you give us commands to do, Father, we just can't uh, feel like our obedience is complete if we hit the highlights. We need to hit all the details, every last little bit. Uh, because you 've taken the time to map it out, we need to take the time to be obedient to uh, to your plan and your design so Father, I, I do thank you for uh, for Joshua for judges, for Ruth, for all these stories they 're foundational for israel 's inheritance, and they are uh, they are applicable for us to to apply when we find the appropriate analogy to when we find the appropriate way to adapt an Old Testament text for the church age application. Thank you for equipping us to do this very thing, Father, as we rightly divide the word of truth. We thank you we praise you in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.